Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Memphis, Tennessee. We've set up a temporary studio so we can do our broadcast. Later this afternoon, I'll go over to be with Brandon House, Worldview Weekend. We're going to do some television production. Looking forward to that. And then on Sunday evening, we're going to have a Worldview Weekend conference. Brandon and I will be speaking there. Hope that if you're in the area, you can be involved in joining us there at the Worldview Weekend conference. Brandon House and yours truly, Jimmy DeYoung. Hey, it is great to have you along. I hope you will keep the dial set right where it is. We have some very interesting conversations. Uh, the Jewish people around the world are going to be celebrating Purim. It starts at sundown this evening, and then in Jerusalem and several other cities, it'll go a second day on Monday, so it'll be Sunday and Monday. This is a special holy day, has an interesting connection to the modern-day situation between Israel and Iran and the development of that nuclear weapon of mass destruction and what uh, President Haman Ajijad is always talking about when to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Well, we'll get to those conversations in just a bit, but uh, right now we're going to bring to these microphones a man who covers the geopolitical activities for us, Ken Timmerman. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. And, Ken, let me talk about this Iranian situation right off the bat. Prime Minister Netanyahu is making a statement that Iran is closer now than they've ever been to a nuclear bomb. I remember he set a red line when he spoke at the United Nations. Sometime in the spring of this year, he may have to give the order to go in with a preemptive strike and try to shut down or at least slow down the development of that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Pretty significant statement from the Prime Minister of Israel, is it not? Well, it, it is. Uh, and, of course, Netanyahu has uh, really spent a tremendous amount of effort since he took over as prime minister uh, to wake up the world to the threat from a nuclear-armed Iran and, and to especially get the United States engaged in passing tougher sanctions against the regime that might have some kind of impact. Um, but, you know, you mentioned uh, stop or slow down the program. Uh, there have been a number of actions taken by unknown uh, people over the past couple of years that have, in fact, slowed down the program. Uh, Iranian nuclear scientists, for example, uh, have been uh, targeted for assassination in Tehran. Um, there have been bizarre, mysterious accidents at certain Iranian uh, missile plants and at uh, nuclear facilities. Uh, we still don't know, for example, whether there was some kind of... Uh, explosion that took place at the Fordo uh, enrichment plant uh, at the end of January. There have been uh, pretty uh, extensive uh, rumors that this took place. Uh, it's been denied by the regime and by the United States. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, the Iranians just recently said that they have less 20% uh, enriched uranium than they did before the accident. And by the way, the accident took place, if it did take place, at the plant where they were enriching uranium to 20%. So it may be that um, uh, there is a power out there, a nation-state uh, with friends inside Iran that is taking actions to slow down the Iranian program no matter what happens and to do this before having to call out the Air Force. Well, you know, Israel are very much concerned about what's going on there. As far as the Israeli government's concerned, Iran's the number one enemy with the threats continually coming from its president about wiping the Jewish state off the face of the earth, etc., 
And it looks like the rest of world leaders are not paying that much of attention. But then I read a poll that was taken among Americans, and it says that 99% of Americans consider Iran's nuclear program a threat. What's wrong with these leaders? When are they going to get in lockstep with the body politic of the United States? Well, I think the, the, the problem really is President Obama. And uh, President Obama uh, does not believe that a nuclear-armed Iran is a real threat. You heard his nominee for Secretary of Defense, Chuck Hagel, start to talk about containing Iran. Uh, he had to be corrected by uh, the senators who were asking him questions at his confirmation hearing uh, that the United States does not have a containment policy. But, in fact, it does. And uh, Obama has been uh, making that pretty clear while denying it uh, all at the same time. Uh, if you try to contain a nuclear-armed Iran, what it means, basically, is that you've decided to live with it. Uh, and I think Obama has made it pretty clear that he is ready to live with a nuclear-armed Iran. The American people are not. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see that disconnect, uh, what happens when that disconnect hits home to people and the Iranians either test a first nuclear weapon or they declare that they're ready to test the first nuclear weapon. And, of course, the Prime Minister of Israel looking at all of his options, especially as it relates to a preemptive strike. There was a United Nations-sponsored conference that took place, and there was a statement made from the North Korean representative. They threatened South Korea with final destruction. Is that reality, or was it just uh, rhetoric? Well, uh, you know, the, the North Koreans have now exploded their third uh, nuclear device, uh, or the third set of tests, I should say, because one of them had multiple devices uh, that went off. Um, so we know that they have nuclear weapons, uh, and it appears this most recent test um, was of a smaller warhead, uh, possibly a warhead that would fit onto one of their missiles. Um, so, yes, they do have the capability of inflicting tremendous damage to uh, Seoul, where uh, we remember Seoul is within artillery range of North Korea. The question is, do they then want to uh, engage in all-out war? And do they believe that they can inflict such, a, such damage on the South Korean uh, regime in a first strike that there will not be a retaliatory strike either by South Korea or by the United States? Uh, by the way, the U.S. reaction to that comment was pathetic. Uh, there was a, uh, a United States ambassador at this um, uh, particular conference that you mentioned, uh, and, and, and she said, well, I find that comment by the North Koreans that they want to wipe out South Korea offensive. Uh, that is a truly pathetic response, uh, and it essentially tells the North Koreans, uh, go ahead, uh, we're not going to do anything. Wow. Wow. Some of the activities of the leadership of America and uh, their underlings and what they do and say. Let's stay out there in the Far East uh, just a few moments. Uh, it has been talked about that China has a military unit behind the prolific hacking that's going on on many of the institutions here in America and among other organizations around the world as well. Uh, this computer uh, cyber warfare that's going on. Is it really China that's doing this? Well, uh, it, it certainly looks like it, Jimmy. Uh, there was a, um, you know, there, there, the New York Times got hacked uh, last year, I think it was, after they did a story about the uh, uh, private wealth, the personal fortune of the retiring premier of communist China. And um, uh, they, so they hired this private security company here in the United States, a group called Mandiant, 
to um, investigate. And um, Mondiant found that that hack came from China. And then they did a subsequent report uh, looking into, um, uh, you know, trying to discover the sources of um, uh, hacks that had been reported uh, by private companies in the United States and by government institutions. And, and in their report, they said, well, we have not just found that it came from communist China, but we can tell you exactly what building it came from, because they could trace the Internet logs, apparently, to this one particular building, which just happens to be um, uh, co-located with a Chinese military intelligence office. Uh, now, the BBC reporter who, who uh, broke this story, uh, uh, was trying to break this story on television, he went there with a TV crew, you know, thinking he was going to be able to film this office, and he gets detained and uh, taken inside, and the, uh, and the, the, the goons there uh, demanded that he cough up the videotape uh, of the uh, Chinese headquarters. So it does look like this is a very serious, a very real story, and uh, that the Chinese government, the Chinese government, is engaged in a massive cyber espionage program, not just against the United States, but against private companies. They're doing it for, for greed, for profit, and for security reasons. Well, it looks like cyber warfare is uh, the cutting edge in the age of future warfare around this world. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Let me focus on uh, the war-torn country of Iraq trying to rebuild uh, the country has a government, and it's made up of three segments. You have in the north the Kurds, in the center of the state the Sunni Muslims, and then the Shiites in the lower third, about 60% of the entire population. Looks like the Sunnis are digging in to uh, try to maybe even bring down Prime Minister Maliki's government and hinder the advancement or the at least rebuilding of this war-torn country of Iraq. Well, and the Sunnis would not be alone. Um, see, what, what, what's happened here is as the United States under President Obama has disengaged from Iraq, uh, it's been not just a military disengagement, but a political disengagement as well. And al-Maliki, the Shiite prime minister, has essentially thrown his lot in with the Iranian regime next door. Um, Iraq uh, today, uh, thanks to President Obama's disengagement, has essentially become an Iranian puppet. Uh, and uh, this is extremely troubling uh, for us. It's also troubling to other Iraqis. Um, you have the Kurds in the north who are, uh, you know, they are uh, warring with Baghdad over oil resources. And then you have the Sunnis, who you just mentioned, who are camped out in Ramadi in the Sunni Triangle just uh, to the west of Baghdad. You have, you know, tens of thousands of protesters who are, who are out there have been protesting for weeks now. Uh, the repression, repressiveness of the central government. Uh, so this government is falling apart. Um, it's not certain that it will lead to wide-scale violence or a resumption of the, of the civil war, but it is clear that uh, Maliki has lost the political legitimacy that he had uh, from the recent elections. He's no longer governing as, as, a, as a leader of a coalition, but as a, but as a Shiite, Iranian-backed uh, puppet. Well, we want to stay on top of that story as well. We do that when we cover geopolitical activities with Ken Timmerman out of Washington, D.C. Always a joy to have Ken along. He's articulate on giving us information we need to know. Ken, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by in Jerusalem. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, here in Temporary Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. Later this afternoon, we're going to be doing some television production with Brandon House. Uh, This is going to be a nationwide TV program that we'll be producing four different programs with Brandon, and we're excited about that. And then on Sunday evening, we'll have a Brandon House Worldview Weekend Conference here in Memphis. So we're going to have a great time in this area. Well, let's get back to our broadcast partners, David Dolan. He's located in Jerusalem, Israel. And we want to talk with David about the Middle East news and how it needs to be updated. We go to David for that purpose. David, talk to me about what's been going on with the Palestinians out in the area of Judea and Samaria, referred to by some as the West Bank, and also on the Temple Mount on Friday. They went up there demonstrating the security forces had to go up. What's the latest? Well, Jimmy, um, this is my first. Uh, this was my first weekend here uh, in Israel after some time in the states visiting family and friends, and as I was returning from the local grocery store, and I'm close to the old city, as you know, uh, on Friday um, I heard some shooting, and it intensified, and for about, oh, I would say two minutes, uh, there was constant uh, shooting going on. I knew that the Palestinians had been planning um, some demonstrations uh, in support of uh, Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails, some of whom have been on hunger strike for some time. And um, so they were expecting uh, possible trouble, but I have to tell you, it was quite a greeting back to Jerusalem, a beautiful sunny day, but, um, uh, you know, a reminder that the troubles exist, 
uh, a stark reminder because I could tell the firing was coming from the Temple Mount area from the direction that I was walking. Uh, I could see the Temple Mount actually, so uh, I wasn't surprised by it, but a reminder that this is the most contested piece of real estate on earth. And of course, um, the excuse was the Palestinian prisoners, but as you know, the real um, underlying uh, cause for all of this is the Islamic claim to the Temple Mount, and um, that, of course, is the Temple Mount, Judaism's holiest site on earth for 3,000 years. So uh, it's not the first time this has happened, but it hasn't happened in a while, and I was uh, here for that sort of a greeting and welcome, but um, there has been uh, some other clashes uh, during the week, and uh, on Thursday, actually, quite a few were wounded in some clashes uh, north of Jerusalem, near Ramallah, near where uh, some of these Palestinian prisoners are from, and near a jail where some of them are held. So um, uh, another chapter in the ongoing uh, Arab-Israeli dispute uh, unfolding here. And welcome back home to the place where you have been covering the Middle East for over 30 years. But I'm sure you're glad to be back home anyway. Well, I want to talk about the coalition building by Prime Minister Netanyahu in a moment. But first, he made a statement this week that Iran is closer than ever with a nuclear bomb. It looks like that may well be the case. They're intensifying some of their enrichment program. Talk to us about the prime minister's concerns. Well, Jimmy, he was really only commenting on uh, responding, I should say, to a the latest United Nations Atomic Energy Report. Now, this has not yet been officially published, but um, it has been leaked to the press, and it appeared in not only the Israeli media, but media around the world, stating that Iran has um, has uh, opened up 180 new, far more advanced uranium en- enrichment centrifuges than they've been using in the past. These can produce... Um, uh, atomic bomb grade uh, uranium at a much quicker pace than the uh, older um, uh, um, centrifuges that they've been deployed. The UN said there's 180 of these, uh, meaning they can produce quite a bit of um, intense material. And Netanyahu just repeated what he said at the UN last September that um, that the red line for Israel, uh, well, for Iran, uh, you know, moving back from this program is sometime this spring. That Once they've passed a certain point in the next few months, they will have enough material to produce at least one atomic bomb. So he has certainly uh, um, responded to that report by, he called it very grave, and said that Israel is most concerned about this, and he stated now for some time that this is the top issue for the Israeli government, what's going on over there. And depending upon what happens with the negotiations over the coalition, uh, we could well see action this spring if indeed this uh, this report is true. And again, the source is the Atomic Energy Agency saying these are in the tons. They would like to go and inspect them at that uh, Iranian nuclear site, but so far... The Iranian regime is refusing to allow them to do so, and um, it may be that Israel will strike before they're able to do so at some point. And meanwhile, at Israel's northern border, there's another concern. The Syrian situation is only worsening, not getting any better. And Israel, as I understand it, the Israeli Defense Force, they're keeping a close watch on that Syrian border. Well, they certainly are. We heard from... Uh, human rights groups this week, Jimmy, that it's now averaging 100 Syrians a day, 
a day are being killed. Um, so what are there? Are there 31 days in a month? You can do the math. This is an uh, astounding number of deaths in this war, uh, and a good portion of those are civilians caught up in the fighting. The refugee flee, uh, refugee um, uh, refugees fleeing the fighting continues to grow, heading into Lebanon, into uh, Turkey, into Jordan. And, um, of course, we had uh, the Syrian opposition uh, saying this week that they would attack Hezbollah positions in Lebanon if Hezbollah continues to shell Sunni Muslim towns and villages uh, inside of Syria. That's apparently been going on. Uh, they say Hezbollah is behind it. This comes as we have reports that 1,500 more Hezbollah fighters have moved into Syria to support the regime, the Assad regime. Uh, Iranian fighters are there. So this is already much more than a civil war. It's a war involving Lebanon, a war involving Iran, Jordan, Turkey, and uh, it could well involve Israel in a greater way than we saw earlier this month when they struck this um, chemical weapon site outside of Damascus and also a convoy of um, Syrian trucks taking heavy Syrian weapons. We're talking about anti-aircraft missiles and some other very advanced weapons into Lebanon. The Israelis had already stated, as Hillary Clinton and others had said before, that this would not be allowed, and Israel had permission, apparently, from the White House, or at least acquiescence, acquiescence not that they looked for permission, but uh, the White House knew in advance this was going to happen, and so this is a widening conflict, Jimmy, that could well... Uh, spill over to involve Israel in a much greater way. And with that in mind, of course, the IDF is indeed on full alert in the north. And this, of course, then gives much greater urgency for the coalition building. Uh, just briefly, we could go for a long time, but just briefly, because I've got some other items to talk to you about, what's the situation on the building a coalition for the next Israeli government? It's going very slowly. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu did sign an agreement on Tuesday uh, with, of all people, Tsipi Livni. Um, she was the head of the Kadima Party, uh, a longtime opponent of Netanyahu, a longtime nemesis. They served together in the Sharon government, but then she broke away with Sharon to form Kadima, and she stated in the election she would never join his coalition, but she's become the first party to do so. That after he promised her the justice ministry and that she would be in charge of any future negotiations with the Palestinians, an unlikely thing at the present, but still she decided that was enough to jump on board. But several of Netanyahu's um, natural right-wing coalition parties are upset over that because she wants to see Orthodox Jews drafted into the military, as do other centrist parties here. So one at least, um, and Naftali Bennett's new um, Jewish home party, he said, we may not join the, the government now. So there's a real possibility Netanyahu will not succeed in forming a coalition. And opinion polls published this weekend, Jimmy, show that if new elections were held, uh, Netanyahu would lose them, and Yair Lapid and his new party would emerge as the largest in the Knesset. So that's an incentive, though, for the right-wing and religious parties, the nationalistic parties, to get on board his coalition. Uh, they don't want to see uh, this uh, centrist leader. They want to see Netanyahu remain in power. So he'll probably succeed. But all of this is happening. Uh, the deadline for coalition forming is just four days before President Obama is supposed to be arriving here. So there's pressure on the prime minister, and I'm sure he's working overtime to get this done. 
And quickly, about 15 seconds, it seems like the GOP senator, who possibly could be a candidate for president next time around, Marco Rubio, uh, has been there for a visit, and one of the things significantly being said by him was that Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of the Jewish state of Israel. Well, he was here. He was warmly received. He had personal meetings with Netanyahu and other leaders, and they recognized that he may well be the candidate for president the next time around on the Republican Party, and they certainly appreciated his statements of support for them. David Dolan, he's a man who covers the Middle East, been doing it for over 30 years. We're talking to him from Jerusalem. We always appreciate the opportunity to be able to get with David and have these conversations. David, appreciate it so much, my good friend. Have a good time there, and be careful, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy, and God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have a European Union update. Dr. Rob Congdon, he is standing by. We have much to cover. Keep the dial set. You're listening to Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young. We're here in Temporary Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. We're going to be, as I said earlier, doing some television production with Brandon House, Worldview Weekend, and that's going to be a very important time for us to get some very important information out prophetically, talking about, indeed, why do we believe that the rapture takes place before the tribulation period. Well, we'll tell you more about that when you can see those television programs as we have produced them this weekend. We'll be putting them on the air not too long into the future. We're so glad you could keep the dial set right where it is, Prophecy Today. Our broadcast partners coming to these microphones with information that is so essential for our understanding so that we can see how indeed current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. As promised, coming to these microphones will be Dr. Rob Congdon. He looks at the European Union for us. He's lived there many, many years and travels back and forth always on top of what's happening in that part of the world. And Rob, as I look at the list of items I wanted to discuss with you, there's a lot about how the European Union needs to get involved militarily. We're going to talk about Mali. Uh, We're going to talk about the Syrian situation. This is so interesting to me because you and I have often talked about the fact uh, that the European Union, if they're going to be the revived Roman Empire, have to have somewhat of a military force. Uh, Let me get to this first. It looks like the 
United Kingdom is seeking the entire European Union to come on board and support arming the Syrian rebels. Now, that's a focus towards the Middle East with the military might coming out of the European Union. Speak to that issue, and I do understand that ultimately European Union has agreed to send non-lethal type of aid, military aid or weaponry, uh, to the Syrian operation. Talk to me about this. Well, yes, it's a very unusual situation in one sense for the United Kingdom, the British, to actually want to encourage warfare is is, is a, not quite in their typical pattern. However, when it comes to the Middle East, uh, they're very much interested in, we might call them the underdog, and uh, in this case, they see Assad as evil and the rebels as a potential improvement to the Middle East conditions and bringing more peace. So uh, they've come on strong there, perhaps the strongest country involved in the EU, suggesting they should support these rebels with military aid. So uh, they're pushing for that. that. That's a little unusual for the British overall to hold that view. Individuals often do in their government. So uh, we have a new situation developing here. And as you've mentioned, uh, the EU has worked out an agreement uh, that has satisfied the Brits at this point of helping the, the rebels. Well, you know what's so interesting to me? NATO, which is, of course, the military might headquartered in Europe, basically supported by the United States, NATO is standing at arm's length as such, and the European Union wanting to get involved. Is this not interesting to you? I think it's very interesting, um, especially to me for several reasons. I have been a long believer that the power of NATO will diminish and that in doing that, the EU will take over through a military might. I think the fact that the European Union has agreed to send non-lethal aid, interesting term they have chosen, uh, to the Syrian opposition is really part of the way the EU thinks. They start out in a very small way with seemingly a wonderful step. And then what their the favorite term, it, it used to be called the Monet method or engrenage, means to gear up using precedence to bigger and bigger steps. I think what they're trying to do is establish the precedence here of sending help and aid to these rebels, trying to fight an evil empire, if you will. And once they say, see, we help them with non-military weapons or non-lethal weapons, later they can say, well, see, we we're, we're already have a precedence for stepping in and helping change the government of a country. And they'll build on that, and ultimately, of course, they have to have a military to continue. But I think they're establishing a precedence in the Middle East that says we can come in and start helping as an external force, helping internal rebels to change the government, and ultimately I think they would seek to see the EU become the ultimate government. And meanwhile, the Islamists there in Mali continue to try to take over that particular country, now steps up the European Union, saying that uh, indeed uh, they may listen to what the French foreign minister is saying to arm the Mali soldiers. What about that? Well, that's just part of it, too. If you if we start looking at a map again, and that's key to always look at the map, you'll see that these are countries that the European Union is deeply interested in for two reasons. One is they are around the Mediterranean overall. Now, Mali's a little bit south, but it's close enough. 
but they're around the Mediterranean, which are the old countries of the Roman Empire, and the EU has always shown interest there. And we had the colonial period where the French were there, uh, and many of the European Union countries were once involved in the African nations, North Africans. So uh, their interest continues there, and this, as I said, is another one of these precedent-setting steps that will enable them later to take stronger control if the EU is headed in the direction I think they ultimately are headed. I want to remind everybody, this is not a Middle East news update, but instead an update on the European Union. But, Rob, we've got to go back to the Middle East because Hezbollah, a report out says, has been scanning the European Union looking for Israelis and Jewish peoples to attack. Uh, this is not a good sign. No, it's not. Uh, the the attacks against Jewish people are increasing rapidly, and the whole general attitude of Europe toward Jewish people is is starting to reflect a very, from our viewpoint, certainly a very negative position, and uh, it it bears watching. And Hezbollah sees an opportunity, and they will always use an opportunity to move and further their cause. Well, I did read another report about anti-Semitism skyrocketing in France. Why France? Well, I I think there's several reasons with France. Uh, France has a lot of Muslims in it. That's number one. Number two is they still have strong ties. We've just talked about Mali. They still have strong ties in Muslim countries. Um, Unlike the Americans that kind of move on rapidly and things can change and attitudes change, Europeans tend to hold to some of the historic uh, attachments, if you will. The ties for France especially are strongest with the Muslim countries, and I think we're seeing that reflected in each of the European Union countries, and um, it's the Muslim-Israeli conflict brought home in a more subtle way. Yes, and would you not agree it's setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled seemingly in the near future? Oh, absolutely. Uh, This is the scenario we would see. It's the scenario we've talked about many times, and uh, we kept saying, and I kept using the term embryonic, well, it seems to be moving and growing, so we're, we're, we're seeing the baby develop, if you will. Dr. Rob Congdon, we're going to continue covering the stories that we've been talking about, especially in light of that end-time scenario found in Bible prophecy. Rob, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Always good to be with you. Lord bless. You know, Rob Congdon has information that he brings to the table every time we get a European Union update that helps us to understand how indeed the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We so appreciate Dr. Rob Congdon. Another doctor that we appreciate so much is Dr. John Whitcomb. Dr. Whitcomb, he is a Bible scholar. He is a man who graduated from Princeton University. He has written on scientific, biblical subjects, and we always are honored when we can get a hold of him to have him interact with us on some particular subject, some current event that may be happening from the scientific world that we would like to talk about. Dr. John, it's great to have you along. The other day, I sent an article over to you where some scientists are saying they've discovered an unstable earth. What they mean is uh, that it could come apart, that ultimately it could uh, come about being a new earth, but they say this is uh, billions of years down the road. First of all, 
I hope you had an opportunity to look at that uh, that scientific report as such. What are your thoughts? I mean, are these guys totally off base in what they're saying? Uh, Jimmy, this is a very serious problem because even though billions of dollars are being spent to discover the the ultimate subparticle, I mean, we've gone from matter to atoms down to electrons and protons and neutrons and quarks and now these Higgs and so forth. The tragedy is that they're calling it the God particle. That borders on blasphemy, as if we have discovered God by looking at some kind of a particle. I have consulted with one of the leading astronomers of the world, Dr. Don B. Young, in the modern creation science movement. And he, he points out some very fascinating things about this, Jimmy. All research is creation research, including the search for these subatomic particles. And this is not the end of the line, what they found. We've gone all the way down to what? Something that is on a very small scale. There'll be no end of this. Uh, Further layers of complexity far beyond our research will be discovered more and more deeper and deeper. And, uh, And yet, just imagine, these people claim they know where the universe came from, the Big Bang. It's going to all collapse billions of years from now with another kind of implosion. But listen to what God says. I wonder if that's possible. May God have a word about this? (laughs) Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, that is taking God at his word, we understand, we're not guessing, we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen, sun, moon, stars, earth, atmosphere, oceans, plants, animals, people, now listen carefully, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible that are tangible, that are material. That doesn't mean we can get a more powerful microscope and see these particles. No, that isn't the point here. The point is that what we see and have and experience in the universe came from God himself supernaturally, miraculously. So I say, now, Lord, that's amazing. You mean you expect us to take your Bible literally? Yes. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And as you read your Bible, you discover that by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, he spoke and it was done. He commanded it, stood fast, Psalm 33. Genesis 1, who did all this? Who created the universe? All things were made through him, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made, John 1, 3, Genesis chapter 1. And I say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity just to think again of the amazing things that you have done, how you did it, when you did it, why you did it, as revealed in the only book you've ever written, the Bible. You know what's interesting to me? You mentioned we believe this by faith in God and by faith in his word, which is the record, the only one that was there when it happened, Jesus himself, who created everything, Colossians 1.16. Uh, he was there, and he then they allowed the Holy Spirit of God to breathe into Moses so he could write this account of creation down for us, Genesis chapter 1. And so we're taking it by faith, but are not the scientists who keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, they have faith that they're going to find some answer out there. They don't have any solid information. They're continually, by faith, being driven to look, are they not? Right, and it's amazing because they, they have no intention— of acknowledging the creator of the universe, the Son of God, who became 
2,000 years ago, a permanent member of the human race. Why? Because he so loved us that he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, returned to heaven, and offers absolutely free, eternal salvation to those who accept his love gift in their heart of hearts. And that's my prayer, dear friend, if you happen to be listening in today. Don't spend time, energy, money on what? Searching for what is already revealed in God's precious word. One of the leading astronomers of the creation world, Dr. Donald B. DeYoung, and I shared together in writing a book called Our Created Moon, Earth's Fascinating Neighbor, where that came from. The amazing things happening all over the universe, in the solar system, and on our planet Earth. And most recently, my own new book called Jesus Christ, Our Intelligent Designer, an evaluation of the intelligent design movement. Now, many people are saying, these are philosophers, scientists everywhere, beginning to say, someone must have designed this universe, this world. It is irreducibly complex. Living things, look at what we're made from. Not just from dust, by natural process, through evolution, through billions of years, but by the supernatural power of God. And I say, thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand that it is not only designed but it is designed by a special person, Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, that has opened our hearts to him. Yeah, amen and amen as far as that's concerned. Well, Second Peter chapter 3 talks about in the last days there will be those that deny the second coming, but also they deny creation and uh, what the Lord has done himself. But then when you get to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it says this old earth and the old heavens are going to burn up. There will be new heavens and new earth, according to Revelation 21 and 22. And it looks like that's what the scientists are almost saying when they're talking about this vacuum instability and a new universe. Uh, they're really, if they would just read the Word of God, they could have saved all this money, could they not? Right. It's sort of like our extremely expensive uh, Apollo mission to the moon. Spend billions of dollars, it cost human lives to send people up there to find what? Where it came from? No. We know less now scientifically than we ever did before. But here's the point. The moon was designed and created by God. That's Genesis 1.16. God created and made two great lights. The greater light to, to rule the day, that's the sun. The lesser light to rule the night. It would have been less expensive, wouldn't it, Jimmy? Just to open Genesis 1 and read where it came from. It came from the invisible, infinite resources of our creator God. I'm not disparaging science. I'm just saying let's keep it within the bounds of biblical revelation. Yes, amen, biblical revelation. And one final item I want to talk to you about. We have been watching how a meteor went into Russia, how an asteroid came close to the Earth. I remember a conversation we had where you talked about there are a number of asteroids behind the moon. You were talking about the moon. Is that correct, a number of asteroids back there who ultimately could come and hit the Earth? There are asteroids all over the solar system coming in from time to time, and, and the moon, by the way, is a protector for us, as well as the great planet Jupiter, to deflect some of these uh, uh, asteroids and meteorites. But uh, amazingly, last week, not an asteroid, but a meteorite struck eastern Russia, western Siberia, about 1,000 miles east of Moscow, and exploded in the atmosphere and created a shower of meteors, a meteor shower. 
equivalent to 20 atomic bombs that wiped out Hiroshima in the Ural Mountains. What an amazing... That's about the first time in 100 years a giant meteorite has, has hit this earth. But we know, of course, worse is coming during the Great Tribulation that's just ahead of us, according to Revelation 8, verses 8 to 10. Horrible things will happen. God is sort of, in a way, I might say it this way cautiously, carefully, God is preparing us for something awesome that's about to happen to the world. As we neglect him, reject him, deny him all over our universities and governments around the world, God is preparing us for something spectacular in the way of a whole shower of, uh, of missiles and uh, objects coming to the earth to get our attention, that God is displeased with how we're handling the word of the Lord. And I say, Lord, help me to believe in you. Help me accept your gospel offer. All things come from you. Help me to love you more and to do your will. Wow. That's my prayer as well. And I hope that's the prayer of all of those eavesdropping on this conversation. Dr. John Whitcomb, a man who is a, a dear soul, a biblical scholar, very knowledgeable, and assists us in understanding things that are happening in our world. Uh, Dr. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again soon. Jimmy, God be with you too. Take care now. God bless. Boy, very interesting conversation with Dr. John Whitcomb. Indeed, this earth is unstable. It's going to burn up one day as we talk. You might want to re-listen to that particular conversation. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you will find every one of our broadcasts archived. In fact, that's the time when you can listen to them, when you have the time, when it's more opportune for you than when it may be on the air on one of our network stations. Well, we're going to continue conversation. And on Sunday, which is actually beginning at Saturday sundown later this afternoon, and then all day Sunday and Monday, there's going to be a Jewish holy day called Purim. And if indeed there's a Jewish holy day, we bring to these microphones Steve Herzig, who's the national director for Friends of Israel. He's also the author of an excellent book that you could get a hold of. You can go to our website or call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, or you can go to FOI, Friends of Israel, FOI.org, and purchase Jewish Culture and Customs. It has two volumes of it. It'd be a great read if you'd like to dig into more information than we may give you here. Steve, thank you for joining us. It's uh, Purim time. Uh, I, I've, I've got to have a conversation with you. It's a Jewish holy day. Talk to me, if you will, and those eavesdropping on the conversation about Purim. It comes from the events unfolded there in the book of Esther, does it not? That's correct, Jimmy. Uh, it's a festive time. Uh, you know, the joke amongst Jewish people through the through the centuries has been... Uh, Jewish people are in trouble, God works out a way to fix it up, and then let's eat. And uh, in this case, we have Purim, but it's the only book in the Bible, the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible which does not have God's name at all in it. Uh, It is a happy time because the Jewish people remember Esther as the heroine, and when you read that book, it really, to me, describes the fact that God is there all the time not mentioned, but he's there all the time. It was a one-minute-to-midnight moment 
uh, for the Jewish people in the book of Esther. Ahasuerus is ruling. The Jewish people are there. They have the opportunity to go back to the land. They didn't. Ahasuerus is there, and uh, he his wife doesn't respond the way he wants when you read the first couple chapters, and so he puts her away, and then there's a contest. And Esther doesn't tell anybody that she's Jewish. Um, her uncle, Mordecai, told her not to do that. And when she goes before the king, she is selected to be the queen. But there's a wicked man named Haman. Haman, who is an Agagite, uh, is furious at the Jewish people because Mordecai, a Benjamite, and, and Jimmy, I might remind you and the listeners that previously, previous to the book of Esther, uh, Mordecai, as a Benjamite, is a descendant of Saul, and Haman, an Agagite, uh, they, Saul was supposed to kill the Agagites. The Benjamite king was supposed to kill them. He didn't. Uh, they disobey, he disobeyed God, and as a result, now the Agagite is in power, and Mordecai, the Jew, will not bow down to him. And Haman talks to the king and sets it up that the Jewish people are going to be killed on a particular day. Esther finds out from her uncle about this and is willing to die enters into the king's chamber after not being called, and uh, dinner ensues. Eventually, she tells the king that she is Jewish, and as a result of all that, the king is upset. Uh, Haman is hanged, and the Jewish people celebrate. It was a one-minute-to-midnight moment for Esther uh, and for the Jewish people, but through that book and through her heroism, the Jewish people live. I'm Yisrael Chai, right, Jimmy? Amen. Israel shall live, and live forever, in fact. Love the phrase you use. They have a battle, and then they say, okay, that's over. Let's sit down and eat. And indeed, that's how they're going to celebrate Purim. I want to get to that in a moment. But very interesting thought. I had never even thought that in my mind. The fact is uh, that uh, Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin and the same tribe of Saul. There in First Samuel chapter 15, Saul was told by the prophet Samuel to wipe out the Amalekites. Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, he let him live. And then uh, old Samuel killed him, chopped him in little pieces there, First Samuel fifteen thirty-three. And the fact is, now they show up again there in the book of Esther. What an interesting connection that is as we look at the entire Word of God. Well, how do they celebrate? We're talking about eating. Don't they uh, put on costumes and, and have some good meals? Oh, Jimmy, I still have fond memories uh, in my youth uh, going to synagogue. Uh, as a young child, they had a, a contest, a costume contest. The girls would dress up as Esther. Uh, boys would dress up as Ahasuerus or Haman or Mordecai. And uh, there'd be a, a just a wonderful like carnival-like atmosphere, celebrating joy. Actually, Jimmy, I'll tell the listeners something that's pr- pretty much not practiced except amongst very Orthodox Jews. The Talmud actually says that you should get drunk on Purim. My family never did that. We weren't interested in doing that. But they say you're supposed to be so drunk that you can't tell the difference between the name Mordecai and the name Haman. I never saw anybody do that, but the idea is we are so deliriously happy that we were spared annihilation. And indeed, it is a, a, just a wonderful time for families to be together. I just baked uh, not long ago with my grandchildren hamantaschen which is a fruit-filled pastry that uh, Jewish people bake in the, uh, to, to look like Haman's hat. 
And so you tell your grandkids, I did, I told them the story of Haman uh, and how we're making his hat, and as a remembrance that uh, Haman was no more, and the Jewish people are still here. So that's something else that's uh, taken during the time of Purim. We've got just a few seconds here, Steve. Talk to me. How would you go to a Jewish friend? Now that we know Christ is Lord and Savior, how would you go to a Jewish friend and uh, start to develop a conversation about Jesus? Well, first thing I would do is to uh, tell my Jewish friend how thankful I am for the Jewish people, because one day I met a Jewish man that uh, saved my life, and I've never been the same since I met him. And the reason that he was able to be alive at this time was because uh, wicked Haman did not accomplish his plan. The Jewish people were not destroyed. If Purim never happened, Jimmy, the Lord Jesus Christ would have never been born. And so we, we ought to thank our Jewish friends and, and thank the Lord himself for preserving the Jewish people as he promised in the prophets in the Old Testament. And as Jewish people celebrate today, we ought to just say thank you and uh, wish them a wonderful holiday and uh, thank God that uh, even though God's name was not there, we are aware he is there all the time. Let me suggest you go to your Jewish friend and say the phrase Chak Sameach, which means have blessed high holy days. Steve Herzig, he is the National Director of Friends of Israel, has an excellent book, Jewish Culture and Customs, in fact, has two volumes of that particular book. You might want to go to their website, foi.org, or come to our website. You can make a purchase. Steve, thank you so very much, my good friend, Haksameyak. Hey, you too, Jimmy. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue a discussion on Purim. We have a very special guest, Rabbi Yoel Karen. We're going to see from the Jewish perspective what they will be doing, and is there a connection with Iran today? Well, we'll get into that discussion. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is our last half hour, and at the bottom of the hour, I will take a look at the book. We're going to bring the connection together between Iran of today and Purim of the Medo-Persian Empire some 2,500 years ago. Hope you'll stay tuned for that. Thank you for joining us on Prophecy Today. Do me a favor, if you will. Go to our website. That's prophecytoday.com. And while there, answer the poll question. This will be a help to us in understanding how we are communicating here on Prophecy Today. Here's the poll question. It's on our home page, down the left-hand column of the home page. The Jewish holy day of Purim remembers the wicked Haman, a Persian leader who wanted to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Today, there is another Persian leader, i.e. the Iranian leader Hamadinejad, who wants to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. As the Jewish people celebrate Purim, could another Persian leader, President Hamadanejad, be the fulfillment of Bible prophecy for the last days as it relates to Iran and the Jewish state? That's our poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you can answer that question. And while on the home page of the website, be sure to look at PASS. On the right-hand side, there's the acronym PASS, a prophetic army of senior saints. We want to invite you to join our army 
as a senior saint that's going to be responsible for making certain that the next generation has an understanding of true biblical prophecy. We want to recruit you to study Bible prophecy, learn it well enough to teach Bible prophecy, and then start teaching it to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, a neighborhood Bible study, a Sunday school class, whatever way that you can get the teaching of true Bible prophecy out to this generation before we depart as senior saints so that they can carry it on into the next generation. Be sure to check out our website, PASS, P-A-S-S, Prophetic Army of Senior Saints. And in the learning process, if you'll join us at our Lancaster Conference, where we'll have our School of Prophets Conference, I'll be teaching the Jewish Feast, Jim Jr. will teach the Four Major Trends, and David James will be teaching Dispensationalism. This is going to happen in the last couple of days of May into June. It's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Go to our website. You can find out more information at that site. Now we bring to these microphones a broadcast partner that we really enjoy talking to. Now, I enjoy talking to all of them, but there are some that just give such great information to us, helping us to understand what is happening in our world today, uh, that when we can get a hold of them, we make certain we do that. We've gone to Jerusalem, and we're talking with Rabbi Yoel Karen. Rabbi Karen is an expert on how things are coming together as it relates to the preparations to build the next temple in Jerusalem. In addition to that, the Temple Mount, he makes many, many visits there in a training operation. He's taking Jewish people, Christian people, whoever can go up on the Temple Mount with him will be learning uh, some very specific information about where the temple stood, where the archaeology at the time was, etc., etc., well, it's great to talk to you, my good friend. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. You're certainly welcome. I want to get to Purim, and I want to talk about how you and your family celebrated the connection with Iran today, etc. But first, any updates? I mean, I didn't even ask you before we went on the air. Any updates on preparations to build the temple or on visiting the Temple Mount itself? Can you give us any new insights, or is it just about the same? Just about the same. They haven't really been. Everything's been been pretty quiet, pretty normal. So uh, you know, maybe maybe some people like me and, and a few others might have to make a little effort to shake things up a little bit. So we'll <laughs> see. Yeah, good idea. Shake some things up. Well, let's uh, focus on Purim. That's why I was calling. I wanted to talk to you about the holiday first of all, from the Jewish perspective. Describe the holiday of Purim. What's it all about? The holiday itself, what we do on the holiday, is described at the end of the Book of Esther. Now, the reason for the holiday is described throughout that entire book. That's what the book is all about, retelling this story. And to just give you a quick rundown of what happens in the Book of Esther, we're dealing with a time period when there were Jews still in exile in Babylon, after the, when they'd been in exile after the destruction of the first temple. The Babylonians carried off all the temple uh, vessels and everything, and the Jews were in exile there. This entire story takes place during that period. So what we have is a king who is manipulated, sort of, by an evil um, government official named Haman. And the Jewish people have a tradition that this same Haman was descended from the Amalekites, from the, from the, the children of Amalek who we are commanded in the Torah to wipe out their very memory. So this, this evil official, Haman, convinces the, the king that there are these foreigners called Jews in the land, and they have their own laws, and they're different, 
and they need to be wiped out. And so the king and, and Haman casts lots, and the, the word for lots in Hebrew is Purim, and that's where the name of the holiday comes from. He cast lots to determine the day that the Jews would be wiped out. And uh, when he threw the, uh, the lots, it came up on the, the 14th of the, the month of Adar. That's the day that the Jews would be completely wiped out. And through various turns of events, the entire thing was turned upside down, and it ended up Haman and his sons were killed, and everyone who hated the Jews ended up being killed. And it says that many of the people of the land became Jewish because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And Esther and Mordechai, her, her cousin, actually, a lot of people think he was her uncle, he was actually her cousin, declared that there would be a holiday, and that forever and ever, that it would never fail that the Jews would celebrate this, this day of Purim with a, with a huge festive meal and sending gifts to one another and remembering what God had done for them. So that's, that's basically that's the background of, the, of the, the book of Esther. How will you and your family then celebrate this uh, Purim Holy Day? Well, it will start with it will start with this very Shabbat. The, this Shabbat has a special name and a special Torah portion as well. It's called Shabbat Zachor. The word Zachor means remember. It's a Shabbat of remembrance, and we actually read this commandment that God gives us in the Torah to wipe out Amalek and to 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 remove his name from under heaven and to never forget. And so that's that's one thing. That's what we'll start with. When Shabbat is over, the actual the day of Purim will start. When the sun goes down and Shabbat goes out, Purim comes in. And we'll all gather together in the synagogue, and we'll all read from the scroll of Esther. And it has to, it's read off of an actual scroll. Many families have their own scroll prepared. My family has one. And we'll, we'll take that scroll to the synagogue, unroll it, and we'll read the entire book of Esther. And everywhere that Haman's name, the evil Haman's name is mentioned, we make a lot of noise and we try to wipe his name out so it's not even heard. And so it's a, it's a, lot, of, it's a lot of fun for the kids, but there's a seriousness to it also. So then, after we read the, uh, what's called the Megillah, it means basically the scroll. After we read the scroll, we'll, we'll go home, get some rest, get up early the next day, and everyone throughout my whole neighborhood, all my friends and neighbors, will start sending gifts to one another. It's almost always food. I personally, my close friends, don't tell everybody this, but my close friends are going to be getting some, some uh, smoked pulled beef and smoked chicken tomorrow. So I'm going to be sending out some barbecue to everybody. So, and, and Hey, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you uh, ship that via UPS or whatever to get it to me here in the States? That sounds delicious. <laughs> One of these days we'll do it, or I'll have you over. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I understand the children love to dress up in costumes, some like Esther, some like uh, King Ahasuerus, and very few like Haman. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if there's, I don't, I don't see too many kids wanting to dress like, uh, like Haman, but uh, there's a, there are an awful lot of Queen Esthers running around. There are a lot of people, another popular one is, uh, is, uh, is Aaron, the high priest. You'll see kids walking around with the, with the breastplate, with the stones, and the it's uh, it's it's pretty pretty festive, and it's really it's really a wonderful thing. And then in the afternoon, everybody will start gathering into groups, families and friends, and sitting down to a beautiful 
big meal, sort of like a like a Thanksgiving meal. There is a connection, and you talked about Haman, who is actually, according to chapter 3 and verse 1, a Agagite, dating back to the king of the Amalekites. And then, of course, Amalek, he was the grandson of Esau, which gives him a connection all the way back to the twin brother of Jacob some 4,000 years ago. But uh, this was a Persian empire that they were under the leadership of. It was King Ahasuerus, who was a Persian king, according to Esther chapter 1. And Persia, of course, today is known by its modern-day name, Iran. Talk to me about the connection. Is that thought of by those in Israel, the Jewish people who are celebrating this special holy day? Do they think about the threat, the number one threat to Israel today, which is still a Persian leader and a Persian nation? Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, you know, the irony is absolutely not lost on us. And uh, whenever one of these people rises up to, to, to put us down, you know, it's, it's, this story is played out over and over again throughout history. Even at the Pesach Seder, we, we say that what happened to us, what, what was with our fathers is with us also. And not only once, but in every generation, one, they'll, they, they rise up to try and destroy us. But the Holy One, blessed be He, is there, and He protects us, and He helps us, and we're not alone. So that's, that's exactly where our thoughts are, coming into this Purim, and knowing that in the exact same spot, in the exact same Persia, there's another Haman that's rising up, and he's got an evil scheme to destroy the Jews, but just like it says in the, in the Megillah, in the Scroll of Esther, Venafohu, and he was all turned upside down. That's exactly what's going to happen. It happens every time, and we, we can learn from history, and we, we know how God works. And all we have to do is, as Charlton Heston says in the Ten Commandments, stand still and see the salvation of God. Wow, that's a great thought. Stand still, see the salvation of God. Well, I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. You are an, somewhat of an expert on the preparations to build the temple and the Temple Mount itself. We always enjoy talking to you about the Jewish holy days that God commanded the Jewish people to celebrate down through the years. Uh, but just talk to me a moment about Haman in the book of Esther and what he was doing, this Persian leader trying to wipe out all the Jews, and President Hamadanijad of Iran. Do you believe, and Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, it talks about Persia, who's going to be one of those nations that will align themselves against the Jewish state to try to wipe out the Jewish state and the Jewish people there in the Middle East. Uh, could we see in the book of Esther somewhat of a prophecy that is in connection with Ezekiel 38 and verse 5 about Persia again raising its ugly head to try to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth? And could we be living in those days? Absolutely. The book of Esther is full of all sorts of, of strange uh, scribal, what we'll call scribal anomalies. There are a set of letters in the book of Esther that are much smaller than the other letters. They're, they're embedded within the, um, the names of Haman's ten sons that were hanged when, when he was killed. And those letters come out to an exact date in 1945 when the, um, when the, the Nazis were, that were convicted at the Nuremberg trials were hanged on that exact same day. And these are just in the ten sons that were hanged, there are these small letters, and when you take those small letters and add them up, they come up to the exact date, 1945, 
1945. And in fact, Julius Streicher, who was one of these Nazis that was hanged just before he hanged, and this is a matter of, of record, he screamed out, Purim Fest 1945. Inexplicably, no one knew what he was talking about. He screamed out, the Festival of Purim 1945. He knew, he knew exactly what those dates added up to. He was one of the ministers of, of he was one of the propaganda experts, and he studied Judaism. So there's another set of letters that are much larger than the rest of the text, and no one yet knows what those mean. So there's, it's, it's very, very possible that uh, there's a clue to something, something big coming. Wow. Well, according to the ancient Jewish prophet Ezekiel, indeed it is coming, and it seems, with the way things are happening in our world today, it seems to be very close at hand. Rabbi Yoel Karen, a dear friend of us, a broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today, bringing us great insight as we think about the Jewish holy day of Purim. Rabbi, thank you so very much. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. A great conversation with Rabbi Yoel Karen and understanding the Jewish perspective to the Jewish holy day of Purim. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we've discussed with our broadcast partners current events unfolding in our world today that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, we talked with Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C., and he talked about the North Korean threat to totally destroy South Korea. 
We also talked about the cyber warfare being used by China and the Sunni Muslims in an effort to bring down the Iraqi government as they endeavor to try to rebuild that war-torn country. David Dolan was in Jerusalem with our Middle East News update. He talked about the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, saying that Iran is today closer than ever to having a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. He reported about the Palestinian protests that, in fact, were even on the Temple Mount on Friday, and how the Israeli security system is trying to shut that down. And also, David reminded us that Israel is on high alert at the Syrian border as they're watching everything developing in Syria. Dr. Rob Congdon gave us our European Union update. We looked at the fact that the European Union has agreed to send help to the Syrian opposition. Hezbollah is seeking Jewish targets in the European Union. And we talked about anti-Semitism skyrocketing in France. And then we heard from additional broadcast partners, Dr. John Whitcomb, talking about a scientific report that says the Earth is unstable and could come apart, and there will be a new universe, i.e. a new Earth. And what about the asteroids that will come at the Earth in the future? That's all recorded in Bible prophecy. In fact, the Earth is going to come apart. There's going to be a new heaven and new Earth, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Steve Herzig He brought to our attention the story of Purim, the Jewish holy day, found in the book of Esther. And really, he brought very important information for you and I as Christians. Jesus Christ was only able to come because of Purim. You see, had the Jews been wiped off the face of the earth, then Jesus would not have been the child of a beautiful Jewish young lady. Well, of course, we knew God was going to work that out. And though he's not mentioned in the book of Esther, he is the major player. Rabbi Yoel Karen, he gave us a Jewish perspective on Purim. And he talked about the connection with the Palestinians and the Iranians. Two major threats for the Jewish people today. There is a connection to Purim. And that is one of the interviews I'm sure that you'll want to re-listen to. Please call a friend and tell them about these interviews and the subjects we discussed with these broadcast partners. And send them an email so they can know where to find the location of PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's at our website, prophecytoday.com. There, your friends can listen, and you can go and re-listen if you'd like to. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Well, today, as I take a look at the book, I want to focus on the Jewish Holy Day of Purim that is laid out for us in the book of Esther. As Steve Herzig told us, it's all recorded in the book of Esther of how Purim came about. Remember, Persia today is modern-day Iran. By the way, that was the case until 1936. Persia 2,500 years ago is what is talked about in the book of Esther. It was the Medo-Persian Empire that was in place. King Ahasuerus was the king. He had a queen named Vashti. She was disobedient. She refused to do what the king told her to do as it related to entertaining the provincial leaders that would come in from the Persian Empire. Well, they put her out of a leadership role as queen. They selected another queen in the book of Esther, and that's the queen Esther, who was a Jewish woman. Nobody knew about this until ultimately she had to appear to intercede for the Jewish people. Haman was the villain of the book of Esther. Mordecai, the cousin to Esther, 
was the one that irritated Haman so much so that he went to the king and he said, we must kill all the Jews, write the law of the Medes and the Persians, and we'll kill every Jew. Well, that is indeed what went into effect. And had it not been for Esther for such a time as that, all the Jews would have been killed. I want you to notice several things that goes along with this story. Haman is an Agagite. That's the book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 1. That means he was connected with the Amalekites and King Agag of the Amalekites, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And of course, Amalek, Genesis chapter 36 and verse 12, was the grandson of Esau. So those were the Edomites that we're talking about who wanted to kill the Jewish people. Esau started, then Amalek, and then Agag, and then you have to look at Haman, the villain there in the book of Esther. Mordecai was the tribe of Benjamin. That's where King Saul was from. Remember, King Saul was disobedient. He did not wipe out all of these Amalekites, and he failed to kill King Agag, which Samuel ultimately did. Early in Israel's history, there was a conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, i.e. the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. By the way, you can go to Malachi chapter 1 and find out that these Edomites will return. They will come back and try to rebuild. God will call their borders the borders of wickedness. Ezekiel chapter 35 talks about those living in Mount Seir. That's where Esau went to live. It's modern-day Petra. And there they would be judged because they killed the Jews and try to steal the land from the Jewish people that God had given them. The book of Obadiah says it will end up in the city of Jerusalem when Christ comes back. Well, the Persian leader of yesterday tried to kill the Jews. The Persian leader of today, Hamadanejad, president of Iran, is going to try to do the same thing. Remember, until 1936, Iran was called Persia. Today, when you go to Ezekiel 38.5, you see Persia in the alignment of nations that will rise up against the Jewish state. As in the days of Esther, God will intercede. Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 18 through chapter 39, verse 6, talks about how the Lord will intercede and wipe out this alignment of nations that will be formed and include the modern-day state of Iran. The stage is being set to replay the book of Esther. A Persian leader is trying to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth, and remember again, the Lord will intercede. But before all of these prophecies are fulfilled, I must remind you that the rapture of the church takes place. That's when Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trumpet God will sound, and those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught out of this world to go to be with him forever in the heavenlies. You know, with everything I've talked about on this broadcast, all the interviews, all the insight we have been given by our broadcast partners, we have to recognize the fact that we are living in that time of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And with having said that, there's basically nothing else for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.